0: Welcome to this week's sermon from C3Church, Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net Now, to God's Word, I want to... um share in our series. As I said, next week we will finish our series on God's call on our nation, talking about the future. And today I want to talk about Aussie culture and God's kingdom culture, how they relate. And I want to read from Acts 17, a famous passage about Paul the Apostle, reading from the New Living Translation, verse 16 of Acts 17. I'm going to read right through to verse 34. It says, while well, Paul was waiting for them in Athens. That is, he was waiting for Silas and Timothy, his um, fellow servants of the Lord. And they were going to come and join him in Athens. It says, Paul was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went in, He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babble, babbler trying to say uh, with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Frosty, sorry. Can you pass me those glasses? Um, I know, yeah. Thank you, brother. Okay. Oh, wow, look at that. Uh, Okay, all right. Uh, um, And and Luke writes to us, um, uh, they took him to the high council of the city, come and tell us about this new teaching. They said, you are saying some rather strange things. We want to know what it's all about. Luke says in brackets, it should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. Uh, You know, if you know Greek history, you'll know the Athenians were the real cerebral, uh, philosophical, uh, you know, ones that left great works of literature and poetry and stuff. Uh, So Paul, standing before the council, Address them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars even had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand that they should rise and fall and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God. Isn't that our prayer for our nation? And perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist or have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So that's Aratus, I think his pronunciation might be wrong, but a famous Greek poet. Paul's actually quoting this Greek poet to the Athenians. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold. Or silver or stone. God's overlooked people's ignorances about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. That's the Lord Jesus. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. You know, church tradition tells us that Dionysius got born again and became the first bishop of the church in Athens. So there's so much in this passage uh, to learn from. Notice Paul's distress. Over the worship of idols The false religion that people were pursuing And and so we should be disturbed in the same way Rather than just blasé about people going astray And, and, and sort of, it, it should... Worry us and disturb us in the same way it did to Paul Notice his passion for bringing the gospel to wherever he went To the people that he encountered Notice his willingness to persist even when not everyone understands or agrees Or even some ridiculing him and the gospel message And that doesn't put Paul off, he's still willing to bring it But for today I just really want you to notice how, how in that passage Paul brilliantly engaged with people in their culture, in their society, in their different worldview that he had Rather than just yelling at him, oh you're all wrong and walking off he, he's, he's connecting, he's seeing the statue to the unknown God He's using that as a link He's quoting from their own Greek poet to help them relate to his message So he uses this connection that he makes to then lead them to consider Who Jesus is. And so we can really learn from that because today we're called to do the same. You know, the Christian faith firstly calls us out of this world into the kingdom of light, into God's kingdom with a different worldview, different set of values. We realign our our heart, our priorities, our whole life. Hopefully, we surrender it all to God and we're born again as a new creation with a new way of seeing things but we're not then called to just run to the hills and set up a commune even though Ruth has in a very disturbing way sometimes said things like oh I just love you all I just think wouldn't it be great if we just all lived together I'm like babe babe it sounds scary it sounds like a cult stop it stop it she's like we could all just buy houses all in the same area." go go on my like, oh fair income. it sounds so cultish you know and then, and then when we had our 25th, I was just going through photos the other day and when we had our 25th uh, celebration, right? We had the photographer there and everyone was dressed up and we got all the photos, family, family, photo, photo. There's one photo of Ruth and me and all the kids in the church. Oh, like on one hand, it's just great. Well, I love children, we love kids. Another hand, it's like, whoa, that looks like, Mama and Papa cult, you know. It's like, oh, anyway, anyway. So, so it's all right. Um, so, uh, what am I saying here? Um, so, so we are called. We're called out of the world, but we are also called back into the world to influence the world, to connect with the world, to understand the culture that we live in, to then bring God's culture, influencing it, God's kingdom culture into the. Local culture, and we've got to be able to understand what that is in order to effectively communicate the gospel to people. And uh, US Senator Daniel Moynihan has said this, culture, not politics, determines the success of society. He would know, as a politician, the limits of political influence and power. They do their best, ah, but he realises, wow, culture is really affecting Society, the success or otherwise of society, and of course, there's many different components of culture, many different influences that make up the culture of a country, and uh, and therefore the success of that country, and and of course, every country has a different culture, uh, a different mix of kingdom culture and worldly culture, often simply because of the influence of the church and the gospel in that country, and sometimes the pervading culture in a country really clashes with God's kingdom culture. It's it's like way, way different, but sometimes it might actually complement the gospel and the spread of the gospel, the way a certain country's psyche or society is set up. Um, and so today I want us to think about our country and how it relates to God's kingdom culture with our culture. And let's face it, there's some aspect of some aspects of Australian culture that are really not in line with God's kingdom, uh, like the Tor Poppy syndrome, where sadly it's very common and, and kind of considered cool to tear people down when they should be built up. People who have been successful, something in our Aussie mentality sometimes feels like, yeah, I don't like someone stepping up above everybody else, I want to cut them down. Cut that tall poppy down. Who do you think you are? You know, it's all, all be the same. And so often people are being dishonoured when they should be honoured. They've done a great job and yet, you know, don't get ahead of yourself, mate. You know, we're sort of pulling people down when they should be encouraged and and, uh, and applauded for what they've done. Uh, unless, of course, they're sports people. Yeah, we'll let them, you know, yeah, oh, yeah good on you, great, great. Uh, or, sadly, good at drinking. Oh wow! How many can he hold down? You know, and so there's another aspect of our culture that isn't really great at all—the uh, drinking culture, the boozy kind of culture where people kind of think it's cool and accepted just to get plastered. And you know, and and incidentally, you, you probably know uh, the Bible says don't get drunk. Right, alcohol in itself is not terribly wrong, but if you've got an issue with it, then don't go near it, uh, and certainly don't get drunk. So if you can have one. Or two or you know you have some alcoholic beverage and it doesn't get a hold of you then that's fine But the Bible's very clear, don't get drunk And And interestingly it says don't get drunk, instead be filled with the Spirit Implication is there's a sense of of, of like intoxication that you get in the Holy Ghost you know, you sense that. We start the service, the Musos do a brilliant job worshipping God. Ruth gets up and says, oh, just, you know, a thousand years, we're just going to worship, worship. You know, I guess she senses that lovely ah, presence of God. There's something about the Holy Spirit that 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 moves you, that touches you, that influences and almost intoxicates you. It, a little bit kind of like what alcohol does, except you don't, you know, b- b- lose a lot of money and brain cells and wake up with regrets and embarrassment about what went on. Uh, and so, you know, these are, and of course, you know, our society, we've got, we're very pluralistic now. So we've got a lot of ideas and philosophies and ways of living that really are countercultural to God's ways, not biblically based, as we would say, ways of living. Um, even, you know, even really basic traditional values are under siege things that have gone on for hundreds and hundreds of years are being turned on their head I don't watch this show but I remember last year you might remember it's the block tv show about renovating houses and there was one contestant that got called out for lying and I can't remember what she did but she she got some extra workers in or, or she worked beyond the time limit or she did something dodgy to improve her part of the Renault or something and then they called her out and had evidence that you know she had lied to everyone and then her defense was the my truth defense I remember just she she didn't sort of apologize and say oh you're right terribly embarrassed you're right I lied she just owned it and said that's my truth it's like that's inane you know you so you can do anything say anything and just create this little weird bubble of reality for yourself and just say it's my truth you know and so as i say, the world's gone mad right but it's not all bad news fortunately there are some characteristics of aussie culture that actually help rather than hinder the spread of the gospel and i just wanted to highlight some of them today i've identified five you might think of some others Um, and i think they sync well with god's heart god's intentions for the good news to get to people and their qualities that hopefully we develop in our own life and, and you might think about that as I touch on each one of them. First one is the tough Aussie, okay? So we've carved out a civilized society in what was a very tough environment, beautiful but often harsh landscape that we have here, right? And this has required a certain level of toughness over the years, there's a certain uh, strength And ability to to, uh, cope with hardship that is part of the Australian character. Uh, We're known for being robust, for being tenacious, for being strong. Uh, Foreigners are often shocked as to how many deadly creatures we have in our country. Have you had these conferences? Remember we had Carl and Shelley Vaters here two years ago um, speaking from America at a conference here and uh, they, she was quite nervous. You know, she, we, we took him out for a walk along the beach. I think it was February. We said, "You want, you know, learn how to surf?" Or goes, so, "Oh, I'm not getting in your oceans. I've heard about the sharks." And it's like, and 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 I wind them up, and I say, like, "Oh, that's only just the beginning. What about the snakes, the spiders? You should look around. Go north. Crocodiles. They're on the way. They're marching. You know, they should be here any minute. They're coming down from the territory. You know. Oh, do you know? I read the other day. Look, of the top 25 most deadly snakes in the world. Do you know how many we've got?" Twenty exactly. We've got we've got twenty-one of the top twenty-five, including yeah, don't you love it? Yeah, yeah, you're all gonna die, but it's good. You're gonna go out fighting with that snake. I'm a tough guy. You know, the top three. We're on the podium. One, two, three. The top three deadly snakes in the world. Don't you love it? And see, Aussies love it. We just see. Ah, it's hilarious. And foreigners go, "Is it true that you've got snakes and spiders?" We're like, "Yep." You know, we kind of like. Yeah, you want to see some? Come on, let's dig around the backyard. I'll find your funnel web. Yeah, look there. Oh, you know, and uh, and you know, when you're a kid, you're so dumb. Did you play with funnel webs? I did. Like, you know, it's like you idiot. Redbacks, you know, like oh, there's a deadly one. Oh, where? Come on, let's all well get around. Not learn. Tell dad and run away. You know, and oh, anyway, um, and you know, we know. Look, if you grew up with any connections with country folk, like I grew up in the city, but had a lot of family connections in the country. And so like me, you probably had country people at some point in your life and the the uh, the cockies as they call them, the sheep farmers that I used to meet, they, it was all about the handshake. You realise, flip, this is a tough breed out here because the handshake and as a young, boy or young man I remember thinking right here comes the hand you've got to get your hand right in there or you're going to get your knuckles broken because remember that? and they weren't trying to show off they're just like oh, I oh, you're a little brownie oh yeah, right give me the hand and the hands were like rough as sandpaper you know they're just really tough and they'd get there and they'd squeeze oh! You know, and you had to get your hand right in there, or because if you didn't get your hand right in, it was just like the uh, and they weren't trying to show off. It'd be like G'day, mate. And you, oh, hi, hi. you try, hi, you're nice to meet you Uncle Chipper, you know, Uncle Reg, Uncle, you know, and, and half the names aren't their names anyway. You know, it's Uncle Chica, what's his, his real name's, you know, Theodore or something. But anyway, you know, so we've got this sort of tough going on, oh, of course, military. For on the military front, where well, you know, Aussies have built a reputation throughout the 20th century on the world uh, stage, sadly, with all the wars that have gone on, of being very brave and tough on the battlefield, coping with harsh conditions. So, why is this good? Because it, if you're going to get into Christian ministry, you need to be tough. If you're going to be a missionary, you've often got to put up with some very harsh, tough living conditions in other cultures. And even just in our own nation, church planting, pioneering new ministries, you've got to be brave. You've got to withstand opposition. You've got to put up with disappointment. You've got to be robust. You can't just be too precious and particular about your own well being and what I want and staying in your comfort zone. You've got to be strong enough to get out of the comfort zone. And many of us would relate that, even just in the local environment, just spiritual warfare, you step out, you think, oh that's a great idea, I think I'll do that, That'll. I'm going to help out with the kids' ministries, so I'm going to, well the devil doesn't say, oh well go for your life, he's like, I'm going to have a go at you, you know, and so whatever you do to serve the Lord, there is opposition, but that's okay if you've got that sense of toughness, and of course it doesn't just come from being Born in a particular country We get to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power As Ephesians 6 tells us And so be brave Yeah. And uh, as I said we can develop these qualities ourselves in the Lord And follow him and serve him however he leads regardless of the opposition Second quality in our culture that works well for God's work Is being down to earth Down to earthness if you like, uh, I, I don't know what the the one adjective would be to describe that. But you know, Aussies are known for being honest, straight up. What you see is what you get. No pretensions. Uh, and of course, this has really worked well for the church to be organic, to be grassroots. Uh, there's no perfect church, no perfect denomination, no perfect national kind of church. But it does work well for. God's values of church being a community rather than a slick production or a presentation where just a few people watch on and get entertained by a, a, a kind of performance. And and that's not to say we don't have excellence and there's not, you know, anything wrong with some fantastically well-resourced churches that have, you know, mega churches that have come along and been just brilliant with, you know, professional productions and great worship music productions but at its heart the church is a community of people a family a bunch of relationships you know Ruth and I were in a meeting many many years ago and uh, with other pastors and it was in a mega church in another country and it was so big it was like a conference thousands and thousands of people and it's very slick production and and someone said look pastors this could be your church and they were promoting it as a concept that we would really want church to be like that. And I remember just thinking, there's no way I want to pastor a church like this. If we ended up with thousands of people, I'd be working hard to maintain the sense of community or send half of them somewhere else on the other side of town. you know." But I remember thinking, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to really think this is cool, this is church. Well, horses for courses, great. Some people want to go to that kind of stuff. But I remember just thinking, I don't want to... You know, as I said, I'm not having to go at church sizes. There's all different sizes and shapes, but as long as we are organic, connected to the Lord and people connected to each other, and and that can happen in bigger churches, maybe it's a little harder to work towards that, but certainly just being down to earth and very real in relationships that Aussies are, you know, generally kind of honest and and organic, that's really part of, I think, God's heart for the church. Third one is... Humility. Aussies generally, especially on the world stage, take a, a a more humble position than some people from some other nations and this is probably the only positive side, the flip side of the tall poppy syndrome, that we don't promote ourselves too much, you don't put tickets on yourself as they say, we're just gonna, you know, uh, all getting along and, and uh, wanting to be not too proud and we don't carry ourselves with swagger Um, and it's probably related to our convict heritage uh, which is of course biblical in a sense because read this Paul writing to the Corinthians he says brothers and sisters think of what you were when you were called not many of you were wise by human standards not many were influential not many were of noble birth but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify things that are. So that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who's become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one who boasts Sorry, let, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know, that's, so there's hope for all you convicts, you know, because, you know, as a nation, a lot of us were, you know, coming from those lowly roots, but that's okay. God loves to use people who have been discarded and, and dismissed in the world for his purposes. Great illustration of that is the origins of the Granny Smith apple. You may know this story. Maria Ann Smith and her husband Thomas had a little orchard in Eastwood in Sydney which is now of course houses um, and in her latter years she um, she'd become a known as Granny Smith in the local area she's well known and in 1868 she was experimenting with crab apples for cooking and so she'd make uh whatever she was working on and she'd throw the apple cores just out the window and I just landed in the backyard just out on the other side of the kitchen. Some seedlings started to spring up and something went on so that she ended up cultivating this new kind of apple and it was named after her called the Granny Smith and it was really tasty but it also had this great advantage of being able to survive for long periods of storage. So it became very popular because they didn't have cold storage and pick apples early to let them ripen like they do these days. So it was exported in huge quantities in World War One to troops and people who are in need overseas and it would stay fresh for a long time. By 1975, if you're a child of that era, you'll remember there are a lot of Granny Smiths. Forty percent of the Australian apple crop were Granny Smiths. And then they now they've brought out you know fancy pink ladies other versions and all that. But that was all the result of discarded apples. Isn't that cool? And that is indicative of the convicts discarded from the UK in the late you know, 1700s, early 1800s and, uh, and, and humble beginnings, but from humble beginnings, some great things can happen. Yeah, And, uh, and so a humble heart, ah, it means that you ask questions before you start telling the answers. And Ruth and I found this particularly helpful on the mission field in Russia initially in the 90s, but also in our work with Thailand and Vietnam, where if, if if it's you know part of your psyche, where you just aren't too proud to, and Mark talks about this when he's up in the territory, just sitting, just sitting, building relationships, building credibility, building trust, building bridges into someone's culture, rather than just going in all guns blazing and uh, and so we, uh, I think, have shared you know, classic story in Russia where there were people married in order to get, like a green card, the permission to live in a particular city. So there were a lot of people in St. Petersburg who had got married to strangers, paid them 50 rubles, so they could get permission to live in that country. They never saw the person again, never consummated the marriage. Then they fall in love in church and they go, oh, we want to get married. And they go, well, I'm actually technically married to you know, Joe Blow or Joe Blavosky, uh, you know, but I've never met them since and, you know, and so in the church, so there were some missionaries from another country who heard about that and went, oh, well, you can't get married, that'd be um, bigamy, that's the word, you know, you'll be glad I don't know that word that well, you know, it's not something that's in my mindset, so, you know, it's, you can't do that, And but we realised, hang on a minute, you can't find that person. The laws are mental in this country. It, it, it took them years to find. Oh, not just, you find them, then you had to go through all these bureaucratic red tape nightmares. So we were just saying, that's fine. Get married in the sight of God. Oh, you can't do that. And we were basically telling these mysteries, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about because we'd been there long enough to figure it out and to pick up on what was really going on in their nation. So, you know, um, so we. It's good to stay humble. Number four. Aussies are known for our sense of humour. You need a good sense of humour to serve the Lord, you know. Because what do they say? If you don't laugh, you'll cry. It's, it's, it's life. It's it's tough. If your life is too comfortable, then just question: What are you doing for the Lord? Because there's gonna be some opposition, some challenge, some ah oh, pressure on your time or your someone putting your, pushing your buttons, as they say. You know, ah, oh, you need a sense of humour, and Aussies are. We have a great sense of humour, hopefully, most of us. And as I said, if you don't, then develop one quick if you're going to serve the Lord. I can remember when I first lived overseas for a little while, uh, for about six months in Bangkok teaching English. As a young single teacher, I worked in an American college teaching English to Thai people. There were about 80 teachers there and 77 of them were American. There There was one Englishman and two Aussies. Oh, and we just, and it was either them or ties and the different culture, you know. But it was so great to connect with the Aussie and the uh, the English guy because our sense of humour was similar. And uh, you know what it's like if you're overseas or if you've been away and then you meet an Aussie and you hear that accent and you, if you, oh wow, it's refreshing because it's like they get you. I can remember in this American college staff room and it's, pouring down rain, monsoonal rains like Bangkok and other parts of the Southeast Asia have pouring rain and uh, and I'm sitting there in the staff room and the other Aussie walks in and he said something like um, oh look at that if this keeps up it's gonna rain (laughs) I'm like yeah you know and and a couple of Americans looked at each other and one of them just went oh man haven't you looked out the window it's already raining. I'm like, oh, and we looked at each other like, they just don't get it, do they? It was just sarcastic kind of, yeah, right, whatever. Oh, yeah, oh, sorry, yeah, I hadn't noticed. Oh, it is raining. Yeah, okay, good, yeah. You know, and so, like I said, sense of humour really helps uh, to serve the Lord. So, you know, you make sure you keep that. The fifth one, egalitarianism. This is great because generally Australians are not classist. We're not fussing about, people who are different, we're mates with anyone that rocks up regardless of their background or their bank account where they were born or where they live now and this has led to us being one of the most successful if not the most successful multicultural societies in the world and this is God's heart because he loves everybody God hates racism, he loves all ethnicities, all people all colours, all shapes, sizes, distinctives, diversity all together in his house, in his family Paul Kelly reported this in the Australian newspaper just last month. He was reporting on the Lowy Institute's poll. It says nearly seven in ten Australians say openness to people from all over the world is essential to who we are as a nation. That was the the question, you know, do we agree? And, uh, And it's true. And he writes this, this is encouraging because it reflects a country with a cosmopolitan outlook as well as a deep sense of national sovereignty a combination vital to the future. So knowing, you know, you're strong, you've got a great national identity, but you're, you're open for others to come and, and share and join because we've all come from somewhere else. You know, like if you're a motorcyclist, you'll know Jerry's Cafe. All roads lead to Jerry's up at Colnura, And Jerry's a great guy. with His wife, Amanda, run this great cafe, and they're originally from the Philippines, but true blue Aussies. And he's got all these random signs around on the counter corny jokes like, who can drink five litres of petrol without getting sick? Jerry can, you know, and it's a little photo of it. And, uh, and then there's some that don't bear mentioning in church, uh, you know. Uh, but the, my favourite is one that says, uh, we may have come on different ships, but we're all in the same boat. I think, there you go, that's multicultural Australia, you know. Yeah. That's That's reflecting the heartbeat of Australia, you know. Even First Nations people originally came from You know, ultimately we all kicked off in the Garden of Eden, long way away. They worked their way down here at some point, you know. And so, um, uh, you know, Ruth preached last week about the the heritage, the history of missionary work uh, that's come from our country off to other countries. But today we can all be missionaries. You don't have to get on a plane or a ship. You just got to walk around the neighbourhood you'll meet even on the central coast it's been all very Anglo is becoming more and more open to different cultures and people moving here and that's great because again what did the apostle Paul say 1st Corinthians 9 verse 20 to the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am no longer under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So he's talking about relating to Gentiles. So as to win those as well. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. So, all throughout history, people like Paul have cottoned on to the fact that I've got to engage with this society. I've got to connect with these people. I want to get down to their level. And that works well in Australia. Um, So, what does all this mean? What what does that mean for you and me today? Three things briefly. One, we should live with appreciation of our nation, like we've been saying, the positives that are in our culture that facilitate the, the gospel. So love your country, love your people, pray for them, pray for our nation, you know, and and don't be a whinger and a and a complainer, uh, and see the potential in people just as Jesus does, you know, um, even though there's a lot of mess in mankind all around us. We are called not to be judgmental, but to be moved with compassion. But of course, as good as Australia is, it's far from perfect, which leads to the second thing we can do, and that is to love people. And connect with them, regardless of their beliefs. And there's some crazy beliefs. Paul says, "As far as possible, as far as it is possible, live at peace with all people." And so we are called to live not with judgment and self righteousness, but a, a connection with people. Yeah, connection with compassion. So we bring the truth of the gospel, but we bring it with grace. Yeah, with, with love and. Uh, I read this the other day. A liberal church says you're welcome here and you don't have to clean up your act. You don't have to clean up your life. A legalistic church says you're not welcome here until you clean up your life. But a loving church says you're welcome here so you can meet Jesus who will change your life from the inside out. And that's our heartbeat, yeah? That's our goal. Welcoming everyone and yes, inviting them to encounter the one that can touch and change them. Because he loves us too much to leave us just the way we are. And thirdly, we should live as citizens of heaven, knowing that no nation, as good as it is, is perfect or ultimately our home. That, you know, this, as I said, is this place is, there's no such thing as a Christian nation. That's simplistic politicising of the Christian faith. There's never been a Christian nation, or never will be a perfectly Christian nation. Every society, every country is a mix of, of God's culture, worldly culture. Uh, So as much as we love our country, it's never going to be perfect, but we are heading towards a perfect country. We're on our way to heaven. That's where our home is. That's our destination. And so make sure you're heading there, following the Lord, living for him and uh, living with a heavenly perspective while we're here. Yeah. And so we're influencing our culture with God's kingdom culture along the way. Praise him. Come on, let's pray. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for our nation again. We thank you for all the diverse people. And uh, and Lord, even when there's crazy views and values that don't align with what we believe is your will, your ways, we want to love people. We want to still connect with people. We want to accept people where they're at and then pray for them and then shine the light to them and then hope that they can... Come to know you and we want to not be waylaid by worldly influences. We want to stay strong in our beliefs that come from your word, Lord God. We want to be shining light. We want to be strong, standing on the foundation of the word of God. Lord Jesus, thank you. I pray you'd help us to be strong, to be resilient, to be brave against whatever the world may throw at us, whatever persecution or criticism we may have for standing up for the Bible. And we'll engage with people with compassion. We are living in the kingdom of heaven, but we're bringing heaven to earth. We thank you, Lord God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But your will be done in our lives. Wonderful. Father God, we thank you. You know, today, just as we come to a close, I want to encourage you. You need to walk with Jesus, knowing him personally. That's the essence of the Christian faith. Not a bunch of rules, not just going to church or doing anything particular, but just walking with Jesus. He loves you. He knocks on the door of your heart. If you've never opened up to let Him inside, then you need to do that today. Or maybe a recommitment of your life into His hands. Pray a very simple prayer. The word repentance is not a heavily laden, weird, old-fashioned word. It just seems it just means to turn around to turn from our sin, from our mistakes and turn to God who forgives us through Christ. Jesus has come so that we can be forgiven and saved and set into the family of God. Pray a very simple prayer or come and talk to me afterwards or if you're watching online and you just email us or connect with us, we'll get someone to talk to you more about what it is to be a Christian, how to follow him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Touch every life here today. Amen.